You are listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host and teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books, Unlocking Godly Wisdom and The Divorced Christian. For more information, visit the website at thedivorcedchristian.com. And now here's your host, Darius Good. Welcome to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show. My name is Darius Good. Thank you for joining us on today. I want to discuss the topic of dowries. Um, I've listened to as many ministers as I can find, whether it's on YouTube, um, I'll find uh, uh, series that ministers have put together on the topic of marriage, on the topic of divorce, and I'm looking for biblical views on this particular subject. And the more that I've dug into uh, just a very focused research on divorce in the scriptures, divorce in the Jewish community, um, I'm finding that a lot of the teachings are not as accurate as I once believed. And so what I'm finding is ministers are taking scriptures in the scripture on that pertain to marriage or divorce, and then they come to a conclusion, and then they will teach their, their subject, or they will take previous teachings from our forefathers. And I've always been one to question and examine things. I'm one to always ask, but why? Why was that decision made? Um, what was the purpose of making that statement? Because the why does matter. Why makes a big difference. Let me give you this quick example. So, so when I lived in New Haven with my dad, uh, he would wash our plates that we would put into the garbage. And he and my mom would do this. And the purpose, the, the reason why they did this was because when they put the trash into the garbage, and my dad would sit it outside, oftentimes either a dog or a raccoon or some other animal would tear into the bag. And he would also, also uh, pour ammonia on the bag. I questioned why he would do this and he would explain to me he'd do the ammonia to cause the animals not to tear the bag open. But I was like, a simple solution would be getting to get a trash can. If you got a trash can, it protects the garbage, protects it from the odor, the attraction of animals, and that sort of thing. But my dad did not like bringing a trash can in. So this was the system that he created, where they basically would clean, <laughs> clean the garbage, put it in the trash bag, and then he would pour ammonia on it and leave it on the street. When my mom moved to Hamden and the city required us to have these special trash cans so that the truck, the truck that will come pick up the garbage, it had this device on it that will pick the, the can up. So at this point, because she's using the trash cans, it wasn't a necessity to be as clean with the garbage. And I've tried explaining this to her but it's interesting that she got into this habit and pattern of making sure the garbage was clean. And so I'm explaining to her his reasoning, his thinking, why my dad did certain things and why it's not necessary now as things have changed. When we read through the scriptures too often, we look at just what's written rather than questioning, why did they say this? What was the reason for saying this? What are they addressing? Who are they addressing? Because sometimes the who really does matter. It may not apply to you. Let me give you another example. On today, I was listening to a teaching from a minister 
on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And it begins with a verse out of 1 Corinthians, I think, chapter 7, where Paul is talking about marriage, and he deals a little bit with the subject of divorce, whether you are married to a non-believer, and if the unbeliever divorces you, that it frees you from the bond of marriage. But how come no one questions why Paul wrote this, which he does explain? No one says, what led Paul to mention this? Because we treat the writings of Paul as if he's just laying down law, and this is what the Bible says, this is what Paul said, this is what we are to believe. Now, I'm not saying whether or not that statement was accurate or inaccurate. The question is, what led to him saying it? Number one, he was addressing a question sent to him by the church of Corinth. And the question was, was it unlawful for a man to touch a woman? And so they had begun this practice of extreme celibacy. Not those that weren't married were now uh, entering into celibacy. Those that were married were entering into celibacy within the marriage. And so Paul, if you read the letter correctly, especially those, that passage, He's addressing the behavior in the marriage and the entire chapter. He's letting them know that marriage is good. It's okay to be married. It is not a sin. But for some reason, I've never heard anyone explain that chapter like that. The problem is we pull out certain scriptures without reading it in context. And it's very important that we keep things in context. Now, let me say this as we deal with our subject of dowries. We began on last week, on the last two episodes, we dealt with King David. This subject of dowries does come up. And so I thought it was important that we go through and understand what they are and what their purpose is. Let me make this point as well. The marriage process that we are familiar with, um, that we believe is a biblical view was established by Moses. So there was a different process before Moses put the Mosaic law in place. And the first time we see the concept of divorce is also with the Mosaic law. So before Moses established a process, the man had the right to find the woman if she agreed to marry him. Um, she could, he could either give her money or he could, uh, uh, she could make the agreement to marry him in front of two witnesses, and then the marriage was consummated through intercourse. But the Moses Mosaic law then required a contract. And so we have terms like the ketubah, where there's a binding contract that was now put in place. And also the concept of divorce also required a contract. So I don't want to take a lot of time on explaining these, uh, these pre-Mosaic um, uh, marriage proposals and post-Mosaic in today's lesson. But what we will do is focus on the dowry because we see this before Moses put it in place. So dowries are, were already being exchanged. So the first time that we see a dowry um, or some mention of, in, in, to some degree of a dowry, would be the story of Abraham when he sends his servant to look for a wife for Isaac. 
So he gives them very specific instructions of the the nationality of the woman that he's to select and sends him with all these camels. So the servant arrives at the town and his prayer is that the Lord would send the damsel to him that he select to select to be Isaac's wife. He asked that if he requested water, that should provide water for him and then water, uh, draw water from the well for the 10 camels. This actually transpires very early on in his arrival, at which point he talks to Rebecca to find out who she is. And then he provides for her all these different uh, jewelry that she's now excited. And then she runs to the to her mom's house to tell the family what is transpiring. So we're going to jump down ahead. And if we go down to verse uh, 50, it says that. Laban and Bethuel answered and said, so what we have now is a negotiating process between the servant and the father and brother of Rebekah. So Laban and Bethuel says, the thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto you good or bad. Verse 51, behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. Let her be thy master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. Verse 52, it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Verse 53, and the servant brought forth jewels of silver, jewels of gold, raiment, and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. So now, we see Rebecca being bestowed with gifts, but you have to notice that he's also providing gifts to the family as their parting is a parting gift. And what it is, is a spousal payment is what we covered on last week. But this was a spousal payment made as Rebecca is being removed from a, as a critical part of the, the family structure. So to lose my daughter, I've lost a part of my family structure. And I, 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 as a father, would need to be compensated for that. So this is where the spousal uh, payments would come into place. Now, Rebecca is to receive a dowry from her father when she leaves. Now, according to the scripture, we don't have any amount. We don't have any sort of, um, um, there's no mention of wealth or riches that is being sent with her. But if we go down to verse 59, it says that they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse. So this is Laban's sister. And so she left with a nurse, and she went with Abraham's servant and his men. And, of course, the scripture says that, you know, they arrived uh, back in the country. She saw Isaac and went in and ministered to him. They became husband and wife. So... Uh, it's, it's funny how you read through the scriptures and if you're not looking critically with knowledge, because now if we understand what the dowry is, then we could miss these details within the scripture. What's the purpose of the dowry? So the sons always received inheritance from their father. And so we see the passing of wealth from one generation to the next generation, they would lay hands on their children and would bless them. We see this throughout the scripture. When we get to the story of 
of Isaac and Ishmael. We understand that Ishmael was the oldest. He was born first. He was about 11 years old when Isaac came. But Isaac was a promised child. And Ishmael had been thrown out of the house. Isaac received more wealth than his brother. Let's go to the next generation. We have Isaac and the two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first, and he should have received a double portion. Then we have Jacob, but we know the story where Jacob supplanted Esau, which, by the way, was prophesied by God that the youngest would rule over the oldest. And um, so there wasn't really a need for him and his mother or really the mom to come up with this scheme. We're talking about Rebecca. But uh, God, God purposed that Jacob would receive the double portion. And he received the double portion because him, his honoring of spiritual things and his honoring of the word of his mother and father when he said, don't marry from this nationality. Esau didn't listen. Esau was extremely rebellious. And so Jacob was one that honored God. He, he kept uh, to the commandments. And so you see the, a different nature in Jacob. And so this was the one God chose to have a covenant with and to, to uh, establish the nation of Israel through. Let me say this as well as we dealt with the subject of spousal payments. With the spousal payment made by Jacob when he arrived to Laban's house and he requested the hand of Rachel, he ends up working seven years and he's given Leah. And then he worked another seven years, but he was given the two sisters to be wives. And what we see is seven years plus seven years, which is really the double portion. So Jacob worked double because he received the double portion. I know we look at the story from a very natural point of view of Laban being this trickster. Um, even Rebecca, you see that in their personality. Um, but the reason Jacob paid the double was because of the double portion. It was a necessity in order to birth the 12 patriarchs. So this was all part of God's plan. And it's important we understand that as we talk about double portions, we talk about uh, when we pray over people, um, and I've, I've heard it often in prayers, we lay hands on somebody and somebody will release a word over them and they'll pray for a double portion to be upon them. Understand what the double portion is. is twice the amount, but it might also be twice the amount of struggle. It might be twice the amount of wealth. In the case of Elijah and Elisha, Elisha did twice as much work as Elijah. He did twice as many miracles as Elijah. Elijah did six, I believe, and I, I think Elisha did 12. The last one he performed while dead, when the dead soldier was thrown upon his bones and the man was resurrected back to life. Just very interesting as, you know, and I'm not going to do a, a, a teaching today on, on double portions and things of that nature, but I just want us to understand the importance of these series of events. So the dowry, where the, the, let's do the inheritance, with the men, the inheritance was given to, to the sons. So firstborn typically received double portion, if you just follow the natural order of things. And then the next children will receive a portion of dad's wealth. It's also important to understand that the, the Jews did not give 
their inheritance at the point of death. It is important we understand that. I've heard way too many Christian preachers and teachers explain that inheritance was passed at, at the point of death. That's not how it transpired. And I'll give you two stories. One, um, when, when, when Isaac laid hands on Esau and Jacob, he didn't die for another at least 30 or more years. Even though he was old in age and his eyes were dim, he still lived an, an additional about 30 years or more before his death. He didn't give all that he had to his boys. And then if you look at the story of the prodigal son, the father did not give all that he had to the sons. He gave them their portion and they might receive a double portion, but he doesn't give all of his wealth to them because there was also a portion of wealth that was required to be given to the wife and also to the daughters. And this is where the dowry comes in. So now if you look at the story of the prodigal son, we have a father um, that gives his portions to the children. And then when the son returns home, we understand that he kills the fatted calf. And then the father put robes on the son. He put gold on the son's fingers. And so if he gave all that he had to his sons, he would have had nothing left. So it's important we understand why is this important? Because on a spiritual truth, we did not receive our inheritance when we died. And we didn't receive our inheritance when Jesus died because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And so our inheritance, which is the Holy Spirit, we received well before our marriage day, the date of marriage, the day and when the trumpets are blown and Jesus is returning for his bride. We received our inheritance before the day. So it's important that we understand this spiritual concept. So back to the purpose of the dowry, the daughters did not receive inheritance. So what they did was they gave a portion of their wealth to their daughters. Now, as I'm reading through the Jewish writings, it seems that 10% was a portion that seemed to be somewhat customary. I'm sure that number could vary. But the dowry given to the daughter was generally about 10% of the father's wealth. So if the father is worth $1 million, the daughter would receive a dowry of $100,000. Now, the dowry amount would, would vary based on her status. So when the negotiations would begin between the parents, the 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 question of her virginity would be be questioned and it would also be written in the ketubah or the marriage contract that my son if i'm negotiating on behalf of my son my son is receiving this man's daughter and the daughter is a virgin if she's of a different status let's say the daughter is divorced or she's widowed then that would alter the amount of the dowry that the daughter would receive and the man would need to know this going into the marriage. I'm not marrying a, a virgin, but I'm marrying a divorced woman or I'm marrying a widowed woman. All of this matters. And it's important to understand that it affected the amount of the dowry because at, in some cases, the father of the groom would match the dowry that the father was given to the daughter. And so now if dad is giving 
the daughter a, a gift at marriage of 100 grand. Then we have the father of the groom also doing the same amount. So now we're talking about $200,000. It's a lot of money. So the purpose of the marriage contract, the ketubah, was to make sure all these items were mentioned and itemized within their contract. The status of the daughter is important in order to know if she's a virgin or not, because the man was receiving uh, what he believed was what was being offered to him. And so you'll find in the law of Moses, if a man later tried to divorce his wife by saying that after we were married, I found out that she was not a virgin. He was not permitted to divorce her. They had these uh, a cloth that they would use to prove her virginity, and they would have to bring the, the items that proved that my daughter was a virgin when she was given to you. If it was determined that that man was bringing slander to the family's name, then there was a penalty, and he was also never permitted to ever divorce her. That's according to the law of Moses. So that's why all these little details are so important in being able to follow these stories as we're reading through the scriptures. I had to make the book of Leviticus one of my favorite books. When I was young, I used to skip the book. But at this point, I take time and I go through it. Um, and I love uh, writings from priests, um, from Jewish rabbis, trying to understand the depth of the laws that were put in place because they require interpretation. Just like we have laws today that requires a, an attorney or, an, or a judge based on the argument. Um, and then it has to be interpreted um, by the law. It's not as simple as reading it, what's written, and then drawing a conclusion. So back to the concept of the dowry. The purpose of the dowry was so that the daughter could receive a portion of dad's wealth. Now we have to understand that we're talking about the accumulation of wealth. So these are not poor people. We have Abraham and we love to preach about the blessings of Abraham. And so God tremendously blessed Abraham. Abraham's father was rich, but when he left Ur, God began to bless him as they entered into this contract. And here, Abraham, 70 years old, God first speaks to him in Genesis chapter 12 and tremendously blesses him constantly over and over. We see this throughout his story as God blessed him with wealth. So now he takes all of this wealth and he gives a large portion of this to Isaac, who enters into contract with God, a covenant with God, based on his father's contract and covenant. And God tremendously blesses him. We love to preach how Isaac uh, received double in a time of famine. So these are good Sunday morning sermons. But it's important that we understand what's transpiring. As this wealth is being accumulated, generational wealth, then if the daughter is to receive a portion, not an inheritance, but a portion of that, she then receives a percentage amount. So now if dad is giving the daughter a gift of $1 million, we're talking about extreme wealth. It means dad is worth $10 million. Is this making sense? I'm using whole numbers. So if we're talking about generational wealth, and let's say we're talking about three, four, five generations of wealth, and then dad gives 10% of that to his daughter, how much money is she receiving? And all this is going to make sense as we begin to pull all these concepts and thoughts together. 
The purpose of the dowry was in case of divorce. So the dowry secured the woman's financial future if she was ever put out of the, the husband's house. Or once the ketubahs were put in place through the law of Moses, a marriage contract, the dowry, dowry was written into the contract the amount that was given by dad. The money was given to the son-in-law, the groom, and he was responsible for the amount of money given by the father-in-law. And they would, in essence, put it into what we would deem today to be an escrow account so that she could receive that in case of the marriage being dissolved. Why is this important? Because if we don't understand this concept, then there's no way we understand what Jesus was, was teaching uh, in, in, in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 19, in Matthew 5, and the other scriptures where he talks about marriage and divorce. The dowry was always a part of the process. And in the case of a young lady who was, let's say, a uh, orphan, she has no family. The entire community would pull the money together so that she could receive a dowry when she gets married. This is important that we understand these Jewish laws in, in customs and culture because it does affect the teachings of the New Testament. When we hear Jesus talk about marriage or divorce, all of this is very important that we understand this. So now we have generational wealth being passed on to a daughter and it's given to her husband to be responsible for. On top of the dowry, we have the ketubah, which is a whole nother uh, agreement made between the bride and the groom in case of the marriage being dissolved. So we'll deal with more of that on next week. But the purpose of the dowry was to protect the woman. The men were supposed to divorce the wives, give them a bill of divorcement, and then the woman would receive her dowry. By the men not divorcing the women and entering into a second adulterous marriage, they were keeping these women's dowries. They were keeping extreme amounts of wealth, generational wealth. That was the problem. You've been listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host, Darius Good. This was a Good Treasure Ministries production. Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center, and he is the author of the book, The Divorced Christian. To learn more about this book and other books written by Darius, or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at thedivorcedchristian.com. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation, understanding, and healing. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, be blessed.